Today we continue a series about judging, as Michael said, and I guess my hope is to kind of solve like hmm, the biggest problem that the church maybe faces and has for the last 30 years. So that's kind of our aim today is to fix kind of a, a major problem that, that I think has existed in the church for a really long time. Not our church, but the church. And uh, I guess I'll start by saying that I want everybody to think like me. Um, and I, I generally just want you and the rest of the world to kind of think like I do. I mean, I, I want every person to admit that the Dallas Cowboys are America and God's football team. And I would just like it if everybody, I'm not a person that's bothered by, by bandwagon fans. You can all come to our side after we beat the Seahawks today and, and you can just be a, a Cowboys fan for forever. I, I want everybody to think that Caravaggio is the greatest painter who has ever lived. And if you haven't looked him up, you should. He's, he's the best painter who has ever lived. And, and you can kind of join my club and go, this guy painted better than, than anybody. I want everybody to think that Casa Baez in Salem is the greatest Mexican food that's ever been made. I want you all to agree with me, to think like me, to recognize that Wilsonville's Mexican food is not up to, to par, that, that we could use new Mexican Mexican food in this city. Uh, I want everybody to, to think like that. I want you all to think that my niece is the cutest person on the planet and my wife is the most beautiful. I, I want you all to just agree with me. Unless, you know, you're male, then maybe that second part I wouldn't think the same about. But, but I want you just to see things my way. I want people to think that this church is is awesome and, and, and has the best people in it. And I, I would like for everybody to know in the world that we have just a congregation that is loving and caring and, and bright and, and great. And this kind of, I think, normal, as I'll say in a second, human nature to want people to agree with you, to think like you, oftentimes, a lot of times, trickles into the area of morality. And I want people to think that what I think is right and wrong, I want them to think that that's right and wrong. I want people to consider what I say is bad, bad, and what I say is good, good. Now you're probably, you know, you might look at me and go, well, obviously you're a pastor and they're all like that. They think they know everything. And I mean, no surprise. And if it's like you're, you're not a church person and you're here today, you're like, yeah, exactly why I didn't want to come this morning, you know, like, because I thought you would have all the answers and none of us would be intelligent. But, but here's what tells me it's not just a, a pastoral problem or even a Christian problem is I have Facebook and I have Twitter and when I get on there, what I'm inundated with almost every single day is people trying to convince everybody else that they're wrong and that their way is right. I mean, all the time, people are angry because other people disagree with them about something. I mean, let me just, I'll just say them and you'll know I'm right. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news or Facebook or get on a blog or whatever. I mean, gay marriage. It's not like most people out there, and I'm not talking, this is not aimed at Christians, this is just everybody. It's not like anybody out there is just going, yeah, I think it's right, I think it's wrong, but I, you know, I don't really care if anybody else agrees with me. It's like everybody is angry at everybody because they want the other person to think like they do, to have the same value system, to have the same morality as them. Vaccinating children. 
It's like all over the place. Every day, every single day almost, I see something on Facebook, one side or the other. Uh, and it's like, if you, if you don't do it like me, if you don't think like me, then I have this kind of compelling need inside of me to convince you that you're wrong and I'm Right, abortion, another one. I mean, people have been yelling about that for uh, 50 years now or so, and, and everybody wants to think that, uh, that they are right, and, and you should think that your writers change your opinion, but they want other people to, to think like they do and to have the same beliefs. I mean, I can't believe you wouldn't let a woman choose. I can't believe that you would kill a baby, and, and so there's this conflict. Eating meat, you know, here in Oregon, it's like there, if, you're, if you're a vegetarian and it's for moral reasons, then you want other people to, to be like you. you want, and, and then I see even people who eat meat who kind of get angry about vegetarians, like, oh, you're, come on, let's go shoot an animal together, you know? And, and I got these people all over my Facebook page, and, and it's pretty clear to me that I'm, I'm not alone in this, I, this desire that somewhere inside of me I'm not saying it's right, and we're going to cover this, but somewhere inside of me that, that makes me want you to think like me, even in the area of morality. That was not an intentional rhyme, and you know that I usually end with a rhyme. That wasn't it. You don't need to write it down. So here's the thing. Here's just kind of coming back to church, coming back to Christian circles. It's interesting because one of the, the biggest criticisms that faces the American church today is this very thing that I've just described. Oh, they just want to shove their beliefs down my throat. Oh, they just don't like anybody who doesn't think like them. Oh, they're just, you know, they're just people that enforce their beliefs on everybody. And it's really fascinating that that, that thinking oftentimes true thinking, has just become kind of the blanket statement for the church. I think it's because we're doing wrong what we'll see today. The early church, which probably held themselves to much greater standards than we do today in the American church, they were really well liked by people. Let me just read you a couple verses out of the book of Acts, Acts 2, 46 through 47. Every day, talking about the church, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. The very first church, about 2,000 people, the very first church was liked by people that weren't inside of the church. Acts 6, 12 through 14, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among them, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more women believed in the men and women, it should say, believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Isn't that really fascinating? People were like, think of this, people were scared to join them, Yet they liked them, and then some people who became Christians chose to join them. I see almost the, the far opposite in the American church today. Nobody's scared to be a part of the church. Everybody thinks like, oh, I could show up there, no big deal, not a thing. Like no, Nobody's like thinking, man, they're going to hold me to a really high standard, and there's going to be some spiritual stuff that I'm not comfortable with. Yet, despite the fact that nobody's scared to join us, 
Churches around the country are shrinking more and more every day, and less and less people are becoming Christians. It's like the opposite of what the first century church experienced, where people were scared to join, but they did it. They saw something radically different in the early church, but yet they became a part of it because they gave their lives to Jesus. And the question becomes, like, what is the problem? And I think the problem is in line with this idea of pushing our morality onto other people. But if you're a Christian already, I mean, I think probably right there on that statement, your guard goes up and you're like, well, wait a minute. Like we have standards and we have the Bible and it has these rules for our lives. And, and there's certain things that I'm trying to do every day. And I think they're good and they're right. And I want other people to think like me and, and have my kind of morality. And, and your guard goes up. But I think that what we're going to see today is huge. I think that this is, this is church changing. And if you're not a Christian, if you're just like listening and you're here and you're thinking, well, yeah, I have a problem with this. this is gonna, I think this is gonna be great for you because, because it, I think what you'll see is like, yeah, I knew that something was wrong with the church. I knew that something was wrong with Christians. I knew that they were doing this incorrectly. I could feel it, that they weren't supposed to be acting, treating, shoving the way that they've been doing it for a long time the way that I've experienced. We're gonna look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. It's gonna kind of show us what this, this morality kind of deal should look like and I think it's going to help us understand who and who we should not judge. Before I read it, this is kind of a big deal to know a couple of things. First of all, in first century Corinth, uh, the city in which this letter that Paul writes is written to the church of, uh, it was a very immoral place. And you may want to think as we go through, I, I know it will come up like one of the big excuses for you as a Christian not listening to this passage, kind of just pushing it to the side and saying, well, that, you know, that's not for me, is going to be like, well, if Paul would have known what was going on in America, then, I mean, really, he would have never have said those words. But Corinth was far less Christian-like than America is today. The other, the other part of this is that Christians had little opportunity to influence culture as a whole in first century Rome. And I think in some ways more and more today, that could be said of us in the American Christian church. Our ability to influence culture has, has waned. It's gone downhill. We have less and less of an impact than we used to have on culture as a whole. And so I think that these words are are even more straightforward to us today than they would have been maybe 50 years ago in our country. And here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Verses 9 through 13 that we'll look at today are, are written because Paul is trying to clear up an apparent misunderstanding or an intentional misrepresentation of something that he has already written to the church in Corinth. We do not have those letters 
Uh, this is a letter that isn't in the Bible. This is a letter that Paul wrote to them and, and somebody, and I, I would hate to be that guy, but somebody at some point lost it or it got burned in a fire. You know, it's gone. We don't have it anymore. But apparently he had said something to them in this letter about not associating with sexually immoral people. And if you look at the first eight verses of this chapter, there's a situation going on in Corinth that is, that is pretty bad. One in which Paul says, even the people who aren't Christians, they are like bothered by what's happening in your church. They think it's wrong. And it's it, the situation, you can read it, first eight verses, is that somebody is sleeping with either their stepmother or their dad's, who has passed away, wife, but probably their stepmother. Yeah, it's bad, man. I mean, it's pretty bad. And, and, and the people, not even like the Christians, but people in the world, Corinth at the time, they're, they're like, that's bad. And so Paul has written about that in the first eight verses, but he, he wants to continue this line of thinking because he has said to them in a prior letter, don't, don't associate with those who are sexually immoral. Now, the reasoning for the people in Corinth and the reason that Paul has to clear this up is because apparently, apparently people have, had started to kind of take these words and they had said, well, if that's the case and we look around at the world and the world is not living up to our sexual standards, then we would have to disassociate with everybody. And since we're alive on earth and that's impossible, then we can't apply this to anybody. And so they had taken Paul's words, tried to apply them to the whole world, and then said, well, we can't apply them to the whole world, and so we won't apply them to anybody, not even those within the church. Now, boom, I need you to pause. Just pause your thinking on that subject right there, what we do with the sexually immoral people combined with the world and all of that, because Paul kind of flips gears, switches gears here, and he, he speaks more about the church. 1 Corinthians 5.11, but now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Now, there's a couple of things that are super duper duper important. First of all, Paul uses the word claims to be a brother or sister. And that's really interesting because Paul seemingly thinks that, that people who blatantly, willingly, without care, give in to sin and say, well, I'm just going to be greedy or I'm going to be a idolater, I'm not going to live up to the standards of the Bible, are, are probably not really Jesus followers, Christians. Now Paul, and we'll come back to this in a second, he's not saying like if you sin, then you're not a Christian. He's saying like people who just don't care about living out the morality of scripture, who are like, yeah, whatever, I know Jesus said it, but he, I'm kind of gonna do my thing, I'll live my way, I'm gonna do whatever. You're probably not a Jesus follower, even if you claim to be a Jesus follower. It's really easy to go, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm one of your brothers or sisters, a term that Christians have used for each other for thousands of years because we're in the family of God, but not to be. Anybody can say it. But Paul seems to claim, by using the word claim, that people who just say, I'm not gonna do what Jesus wants, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, probably not really Christians. And the other word that's just, really important is associate and it means to mix up together the idea would be that that if a claiming christian somebody who says i'm your brother and your sister in christ is willfully and without thought sinning that we are not supposed to treat them 
as Christians, and we are not supposed to mix up together with them. Now here, I need, I just, I need this to be so clear. Like, this, you have to get this in your head because these verses, and I, I've said, and, and if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to the sermon online because it's a setup for this sermon. And, and these sermons that we're doing in this series, more than any other series I've ever done, need to be taken together. You can't take one without the other because it's a complicated issue. It's an issue that doesn't, and I said this last week, doesn't allow you to just take one verse and go, yeah, look what it says. It says, do not judge, or look what it says don't associate with people who sin and to just throw out the rest of the Bible because if you do that, then you become a jerk. I mean, you become a bad person. And some people will take what what Paul has said right here and God, oh man, that guy got drunk. He claims to be a Christian, not hanging out with him anymore. Here's my punishment. I'm not speaking to you any longer. When you show up at church on Sunday morning, I'm not gonna act, I'm gonna act like I don't know you. Paul, is, if you take scripture as a whole, is talking about people, not the people that struggle with immorality, who have an addiction, who are trying to stop a sin, who are working through their problems, who are giving a great effort to stop whatever it is is the problem in their life. Paul is talking about professing Christians who aren't even trying to live out the morality of Christianity. He's talking about people who are saying, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sleep with my dad's ex-wife. I'm going to sleep with my dead dad's wife, whatever it might be. And I'm not even going to try to not do that. He's talking about people who are like, I'm just going to be greedy and I'm going to rip people off and don't really care what the Bible says about it. He's talking about people who are just lying they're not trying to stop lying. It's not a, it's something just because they've, you know, we used to not be Christians, and so we come with this baggage when we become Christians, and it's difficult to break some habits. He's talking about people who are just like, yeah, I'll lie, whatever. It's not a thing to me. And so you can't take this and go, wow, I'm not supposed to associate with people who mess up. Paul's saying don't associate with Christians, professing Christians who are willfully, consistently, without regard doing things that the Bible tells them not to do. Now last week, and I think this is a great example, and I think God just gave me this one this week, we, we used and we're using in our video for this series, the eye is kind of our perspective on life. And I talked a lot about how our, our eyes can become, can become blurred by sin. And we talked about how we can help others remove sin. But what Paul is talking about here. In the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is people who are throwing dust in their own eyes. People who are saying, yeah, I don't care what this says. And usually Christians, because, you know, we're people and we're pretty smart and God created us to be pretty intelligent beings, we're never going to say, like, I don't care what the Bible says. We're going to twist things in order to make the Bible say what we want the Bible to say. Heard a good example of that this week. It's like when a dad... And this was also Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship, which was a beautiful book, and you should read it. But a dad says to his son, hey, you need to go to bed now. And the son says, well, what my dad really means is that I need to be rested because I look tired. And I won't feel very tired if I go outside and play, so I'm just going to go outside and play, and I'll be fully obedient. 
That's how Christians treat the Bible, and that is throwing sawdust in our own eyes to mess up our own perspective, to, to not have to follow what the Bible says. And I'm sure the guy who is sleeping with his stepmom is probably doing things like that. He's doing spiritual gymnastics. He is twisting scriptures so that he can kind of do what he wants to do and feel good about it. And people are allowing for him to go down that line of thinking and to continue in his sin, saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And Paul says here, it's not okay. When people are throwing sawdust in their own eyes, we need to disassociate ourselves from them. Now, what does this look like? Because, it's, I mean, that's a really difficult, like, oh, it looks like kind of they don't really care about the Bible because, you know, they did something wrong. I mean, what does this look like? And Jesus, and, and we need to take all of these verses together, and I hope you're seeing, like, the depth of the teaching in the Bible. There is no, like, one chapter that says, this is the topic of judging and not judging. Here you go. That would have been easier. It wouldn't have been a good sermon series because I wouldn't have had much to say. But but here we, we see another glimpse of what it's like in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, the only instruction that Jesus gives about church while he was alive on earth, he says this, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Okay, so so far Jesus doesn't say disassociate, don't hang out. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Again, not disassociating with them, but saying, hey, we really want to help you pull the sawdust out of your eyes. We want to help you with that speck because we see that you're not seeing clearly and you're blatantly disregarding what Jesus has called you to do. And then he says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. The last option is to stop being mixed up with people. That doesn't mean that we act like we don't know them. It doesn't mean that we're not trying to reach them still. It just means that we stop treating them like Christians and we start treating them like people who need Jesus because that is exactly how they are acting. Jesus hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with pagans. He tried always to win them over so that they would become his followers in the things that he taught. And the key here, the key, and and if we go back to what Paul says with do not mix up with these people, is to stop looking at them like they are Christians who are following Jesus and have been saved by God's grace, but to start looking at them as people who need Jesus because they are blatantly rejecting him. Here's the other really just really key part to understanding what Paul is talking about here. He says in the first eight verses, he says that they should be brokenhearted by the person who is sleeping with his stepmother. Now this is really key because, man, when I look at church and the history of church and the last 70 years of church, it's not like people are brokenhearted when others sin. It's like this, I caught them. Yeah. And then we just like, I'm going to call them out on their sin. I'm going to feel self-righteous. I'm going to feel good about myself. And, and then, man, hopefully they won't listen to me because then I could take somebody else and I could talk about them in the prayer meeting or a connect group and, and I can really just kind of throw them under the bus. I don't like them anyway. You know, I mean, I was kind of hoping they'd leave the church in the first place. And Paul is describing a situation in which we should be brokenhearted. And I'll tell you, I think that if we're brokenhearted by people's sin, then it's going to be really hard for us 
to do this incorrectly. It's going to be really hard for us to not follow what Jesus has said because if I look at somebody that's in sin and I think like, I hate this. I see how their perspective has been messed up by this. We're going to go to them and we're going to want to help them. That's natural. And if they don't listen to us, it's going to be so natural for us to go get somebody else and say, hey, Bob won't listen and I I need you to come along with me. He might listen to you. He might listen to the both of us. And then to take it to the church. And I'll pause here and just say in our church what that would look like. And we've never got to this point before because people will leave the church before they'll get to this point normally. But in our church, what that would look like, if you're curious, after two people have talked and time has gone on and somebody won't stop sinning, what that would look like is it being brought to the elders of our church and then the elders of our church would send a letter to the members of our church, people who have agreed to church discipline and said, I will be a part of this process. And we would write a letter saying, You need to know that this person is not living like Jesus and you need to do everything that you can do to bring them back to the fold of God. That is how it would look in our church. And here's the sad reality in the American church is that we have just openly accepted sin. We don't put this process into action. What I see, in fact, is if somebody knows about somebody that's blatantly sinning, then they come and talk to me. I don't want to hear about it. I have things to do this week, and that's not on my agenda. It's your job. But we're not brokenhearted by people's sin. And Paul is saying, be brokenhearted by people's sin and then follow the example of Jesus to help them come out of that sin. You see, what the American church has done is we have taken sin in the church And we have not made it a very serious issue. And Paul, using the word disassociate, says when people are blatantly, willingly, consistently, constantly sinning, it is a big deal to the church. And it needs to be dealt with likewise. He continues, 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. What What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Now first, I want to point out the word judge there. And this is, again, and I don't know how many times I need to say this, but I think I need to make it clear. Last week, Jesus said, do not judge. And here Paul says, what business business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? But then he says, are you not to judge those inside? And he actually uses a phrase in Greek, uki, that, that makes it even more clear that he's saying, you should judge those inside the church. Now I want you to unpause your thinking. We're back. We're kind of to inside, outside. The title of the sermon, what do we do with those inside? What do we do with those outside? And the first part it is that we need to recognize and we need to think back to last week's sermon when Paul uses the word judge here. Here's what he means. He means not to decide. He doesn't mean decide who is good and bad. We talked about that last week. He doesn't mean decide who is a good person, who is a bad person based on the things that they are doing. And he also doesn't mean punish people. 
But what he does mean is when it comes to people inside the church, have a moral standard and then help people live out that moral standard in the way that Jesus described in Matthew 18. You don't go, hey, sinner, I saw you. You got drunk last night. You had one too many. Bad person. Let's drag you up in front of the church. And that is sometimes how Jesus' words are used. And we'll let everybody know about how much you messed up and what a bad person you are. That's not, Jesus is saying, do not do that. And when Paul says, judge those inside the church here, he is not saying do that. He's saying, have moral standards, strong, biblical, godly moral standards within the church. And then help people, even even if you have to be tough on people, help people live out those standards. But here's the thing, and this, oh man, this is so, this is key. This is, this is how we fix the American church. One of the biggest ways that I could tell you is that Paul says, oh, you're not even gonna like this. I don't even wanna say it out loud. Maybe you already picked it up. But Paul says, it's not our job to hold people outside of the church, people who don't claim to be Christians, to the same standard. That's what he says. It's not our job to judge those outside the church. God, he says, will judge those outside of the church. And it's so, it is, and, and you know this. If you've been around church, even if you haven't been in church, you know this because this is what we always get the bad rap for. We have it totally and utterly backwards. We're like coming back to Bob, and if your name's Bob, then I'm sorry, but uh, I don't mean anything personal by this. But we're like, oh, you know, Bob is a Christian, saved by grace, man. He comes to church every week. He helps out. So who cares if he's having an inappropriate relationship with a woman who's not his wife? I mean, we'll kind of look over that. It's going to get really, really, really awkward if I bring it up, and then we've got to see each other on Sunday, and we'll just kind of let it go. But, oh, I can get on Facebook and rip all the people who aren't Christians because guess what? I don't have to see him Sunday and it's not gonna make it awkward for me because I only hang out with Christians in the first place and everything will be okay. I just want them to start thinking like me. And Paul says, this is opposite. And I'll tell you, and I've used these words, I, again, I used these words last week and they're super important. You know what that leads to? Christians looking and being judgmental and hypocritical. Because people look at us and go, you're trying to shove your beliefs down my throat. You're judgmental, and yet you don't apply the same standards within your own church, within your own religion, to your own people. You're hypocritical. You're just a bunch of actors that are playing a part like you follow and love Jesus. I mean, I mean I've been around it. I know a lot of people who aren't Christians when they look at us, this is exactly what they see. They go, wait a minute. You're not even living out your own standards, but you're, you're trying to get all of us to live out your standards. You want us to look like you, but you don't look like you. And you don't even care when people don't look like they're supposed to look. Man, I read a story this week. About and this is so crazy. It came up, and this I wasn't even sermon preparing. This came up on Facebook, and a pastor got up and confessed that that he had HIV and that uh, and he'd had it for a long time and it had become full blown AIDS, and that during this time of knowing this, he had slept with multiple people in the congregation, sometimes on church grounds, but never in the sanctuary. He made clear. Uh, 
That's bad, right? And then they let him preach for two more weeks. Can you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, and people look at this, and now he's not there anymore, and I'm thankful for that. But, but come on, like, it's worth not. If, if I ever get up and announce that, then I'll just, right now, ahead of time, you should be like, hey, either Matt's filling in next week or we're not having a sermon because that guy's not getting up there to teach us the Bible next week. Because we have to have bigger, better standards within the church. It's crazy to me. I mean, I, I don't know if I knew that this verse was in here, or, but, but this is not what the church looks like. We have very low standards for the people that sit next to us on Sundays. But when we go out into the world and we talk to people about sin and we push our agendas, we have very high standards for everybody else. There's a couple of things that I think Paul really has at the heart. Whoa. The heart, deep breath, of, of his thinking here, and, and here they are, the sanctity of the church, for one. When we allow for ourselves to have low standards, when we kind of say, well, I'm not supposed to judge about people in the church, then it ruins the sanctity of the church. We begin, and man, how obvious is this? Just look at the American church. We begin to look like Everybody else, there is no distinction, there is no holiness, and I think that it makes God just want to pull his presence away from our midst on Sunday mornings and go, I'm not going to be with you people, you're no different than the people down the road, and I think Paul has in his heart as he expresses these words, the sanctity of the church, and the other thing is, I think he has in his head and his heart, is the salvation of sinners, he says God will judge those outside of the church. And I think that it's really important for us to remember that it's not our, judge to, our job to judge people outside the church. It's our job to lead them to Jesus. And man, I mean, we get such a bad rap for this too. We want everybody to kind of look like Christians before we try to lead them to Jesus. And I know, and I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it, we have these people in our heads and hopefully on your prayer list that, that you're praying for on a daily or weekly basis to come to Jesus, and, and you probably didn't include a lot of people on there because, because you were like, well, they don't really seem like Christians, so they're probably not going to accept Jesus. Paul is like, wait, time out. They shouldn't look like Christians. They shouldn't have our morals. And if they do, then there's a couple of problems. You're trying to hold them to your standard and you're not really living a, a greater standard because somebody that doesn't know Jesus cannot fulfill our morality. And so why do we try to convince them that they need to before they accept Jesus? It says God will judge. And it means that we need to be evangelizing people. Now, three things that I just, I want to put out there and make clear. And I don't know how it factors in. And I think I'm pretty good about leaving things open for you to just wrestle with God about. But three things it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we ignore the pain and suffering and hurt of people around the world. It doesn't mean that we ignore injustice and go, well, injustice will happen because, you know, people are sinners and they don't have my morality. It doesn't mean that we can't affect culture. You want a really interesting study that's just recently in the last couple months been brought to my attention? Just go Google Christ and culture and all of the different views on how Christians are to interact and affect culture. It doesn't mean that we don't have an effect on culture. 
And it doesn't mean that we don't vote. It doesn't mean that we don't need to vote. So what does it mean, I guess? And the first thing that really, really is important is if you're, if you're not a Christian, it means that we've jacked it up. We've messed this up. And so please forgive us and don't reject Jesus because we have messed it up. It's not like God wrote in the Bible, be really mean to people who aren't Christians and be really nice to people who are. Never does it say that. It kind of sounds like the opposite. And so if you're not a Christian, I, I just become one. You still need Jesus. And right now, I mean, it's so much better to have people judge you in the short term that have your best interest in mind or trying to help you remove sawdust, uh, you know, sin, things that mess up your perspective from your life than it is to have God judge you for eternity. That's a big deal. Because right now you look and you're like, wow, those people, those people have you know, sin, and they don't care about their own sin, but they care about my sin, and that doesn't look very good. But, but, but you really don't want God to judge you for eternity. And so stop thinking about people that are Christians and start thinking about Jesus who died and what that said about his love for those outside the church, the people that didn't look anything like his followers before he died. And here's the other one. Christians... We have to be much more intentional about removing the sin in others and less focused on fixing the immorality of the rest of the world. You can tell people out there that they should be cowboy fans. You can tell people that Caravaggio should be their favorite painter. But you can't tell people, and it's dumb to tell people, and it doesn't work to tell people that their morality needs to be the morality of the Bible. You can vote that way. You can try to have an effect on culture, and I would encourage you to read about that if that's one of your purposes and that's something you really want in life. You can fight for the rights of people, for justice and mercy to be given to the the foreigner, the widow, and the fatherless, as the Bible oftentimes talks about. But you cannot look at those people who are creating the injustice and go, you need to look just like me. You need to do what we think you should do because they haven't said yes to that. You're trying to hold people to a standard that they have never agreed to and, according to the Scripture, has no, have no ability to live out. The Bible makes explicitly clear that apart from Christ, there is no chance that we follow the morality of the Bible, and yet we're on Facebook going, hey, be just like us, be just like us, be just like us. You should be on Facebook going, give your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, and he'll change it. I encourage you as you leave here, as you go home, to read the first eight verses of 1 Corinthians uh, 5, uh, and I only talked about 9 through 13, but to read those first eight verses, and here, here it is, here's the rhyme, and I stole this one from Andy Stanley this week, he just, he had it, and is you know, I don't have to write my own rhymes every week, but this is, and this is so, it's kind of outdated, feels a little weird, and let me define heathen for you, that's somebody who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't love the real God of the universe, so here it is, ready, judge the believing and not 
the heathen. I, I tell you, it's it's corny. Judge the believing and not the heathen. It's it's funny. But man, if we just put that into practice, then it would stop people. And, and you know, I can't fix every church in the country. And, and maybe if you want to share this on Facebook, this sermon enough, then we can maybe make a dent or something, you know, around here with your friends and family. But I, I, can't, I can't fix the American church. Uh, but I think I can help our church. And what I want people to say about our church, what would just be, would be awesome. And, and we're pretty good. We're pretty good. I just think we can do better. But, but this is what just, if people would say this, I mean, then people will come to our church and, and people will be excited about our church and people will see a difference in our church. If people were like, wow, they have really high standards in their church and I'm kind of freaked out to go there because they're going to hold me, if I, if I say I'm a Christian, they're going to hold me to a biblical standard and they hold each other to biblical standards. And they're not even afraid to like stop having dinner with one another if it means they're going to help somebody out of their sin. And, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. So uh, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit worried about that. Because they live out their morality. But at the same time, they're looking at us and going, but they never, they never enforce that morality upon me. And they just show me love and grace and they're trying to help everybody in this community. They don't shove anything down my throat. They never expect me to be able to do something that I've never said I wanted to do in the first place. I mean, how cool of a church would we be? Like, they are holy. They are set apart and they are different. But yet they don't hold other people to those standards. They just tell them about the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And if you're like me, you kind of think it's impossible, um, but I know it's possible. And one of the reasons I know it's possible is that um, the Bartriffs uh, had a daughter who passed away several years ago. And in Carolyn's, uh, Carolyn went down and spoke at a women's conference. It's been that's been years ago now, I think. But in it, she said something along the lines of, and I didn't write it down in front of me. She said something. She was reading a letter that somebody had said about Beth and. Uh, I wrote a blog about Beth one time that you can read, and, and uh, she, from everything I've ever heard, and I didn't know her personally, lived a life that just influenced people. It influenced those inside the church, and it influenced those outside the church. And so this guy is writing letters, said we were high school friends, and, um, and he said one of the awesome things about Beth was that she always held herself to a high standard and lived out her faith, and was different than other people that I knew, that we went to high school with, that we hung out with, but it never felt like she was being judgmental to others. And I think that we all, maybe, hopefully, a lot of us know people like this. You're like, they're so different than the rest of the world. But yet they're nice to people that aren't like them. And they don't treat people like they're lesser because they don't live like them. And if we become a church full of people like that, we'll set this community on fire. People, people, know, like, people know when their perspective is messed up, when their eyes are, are tainted by sin. They're like, something is wrong and I just can't get it right. And they're looking, they're looking. I know that people are looking for a fix. And Christianity is the fix. But it won't work while we're yelling at those outside the church and ignoring the sins in the church. Judge the believing, 
and not the heathen. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture. I'm actually not sure, God, that there's any other belief system in the world that is supposed to follow this. I know that other religions very much so um, want to hold people to their standards. I know that the world, God, uh, the people that aren't Christians, want me to think just like them about things and they want my morality to be their morality and uh, but Christians God you have left us this this chapter of scripture that that is paradigm shifting God and I pray Lord that we would be a church that lives it out God I pray for people who don't know you and you know, Lord, there, there might be people in front of me right now, God, who, who have rejected you because they've seen kind of this hypocrisy of the church uh, or the judgmentalness of the church. And God, there might be people on our list of, of non-Christians that we're praying for this year and that we want to see baptized here on Sundays. And God, th- that really just see that same kind of hypocrisy and that same judgmentalness, Lord. And and I pray, God, that, that the this church and the people in this church could just buck that trend. And I pray you'd even give opportunity, God, for us that are Christians and are part of Creekside Bible Church, Lord, give us opportunities to, to like have conversations about this and maybe to apologize for this and, and to express that, that when it's seen in Christian circles, it's not right. And Lord, I just, I do ask, even, even this week, Lord, that people in our church would just, conversations would come up where people are like, yeah, you know, the church is so judgmental and hypocritical, and, and they would be able to just kind of help fix that thinking and help people take a step towards you on their spiritual journey, Lord. God, I pray that any person that's here today that doesn't know you as their Savior would become a Christian, not rejecting you because of the the sin, the incorrect behavior of of Christians, Lord. And for those of us who are Christians, let us hold each other to a high standard. I pray this would be a church, God, where we call each other to live out the morality that we have subscribed to. That we would help each other live out what you have called us to live out and that we want to live out ultimately, Lord, if if we are your true followers. But we would do it with a, an attitude of love and gentleness, God, and kindness and grace. And we would do it in a, in a way that is in line with what you have taught in the Bible, not just in a single verse, God, but the Bible as a whole, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we thank you, God, that, that you hold us to a high standard, but you continue to offer grace and mercy to those outside the church without trying to fix them before you come into their lives. In your name, amen.